Welcome everybody to It's Kairos Time. It's Kairos Time. crisis and opportunity collide and the possibility for something new can emerge. We're so excited and blessed to be in conversation with Reverend Holly Halley Thompson, a blood member of the Synagogue Nation, and Karina Gore, Director of the Center for Earth Ethics at Union Theological Seminary. Tonight, we're going to hear about how your respective work is responding to the moment that we're in, and especially the impacts of militarism and its connection to the ecological devastation that we're seeing across the country, and also the sacredness of this earth. Um, and so before we jump into our questions that we have for y'all today, um, I figured it would be great to just get y'all to introduce yourselves. And so my first question, I guess, is just like, who are your people? Like, who are you? Um, and what, let's start with Corinna. Thank you so much, Jarvis, and thank you. Uh, it's wonderful to be with Reverend Holly here um, and with you, and I'm just delighted. Uh, love the Cairo Center it means a lot to me to be included in this powerful dialogue. And who who, who am I and who are my people? Um, well, let's see. I uh, ancestrally come uh, from Europeans who came to, to this land and... Um, mainly settled in the, the Mid-South uh, region of, um, of Tennessee and Kentucky and Virginia. Um, I feel, though, now so much solidarity, accountability, and kinship with peoples here who, I would say because of the work that, that, that we focus on um, at the Center for Earth Ethics, uh, those people that are um, living really close to to the earth, those people that are most um, affected um, by the the ecological issues, whether it's those impacts from from the climate uh, change, like heat waves and storms and so on, or on that front end with pollution, including the water pollution and the air pollution. And um, so I, I, I've come to feel part of a, a movement of people that's really starting to focus on that human nature relationship. And uh, it's just wonderful to be with with you all because I know that that we're in that together. No, absolutely. And we here at Kairos are definitely in community with you in that fight. So thank you for naming that, and thank you for being here, Corinna. Um, Reverend Holly, how you doing? Speeding eastward uh, toward the land of the Shinnecock, and I am. My name is Holly Hale Thompson. I'm an enrolled member of the Shinnecock Nation. And um, we have always been in what is now known as Eastern Long Island, New York. Our traditional land uh, was very much um, from Brookhaven to East Hampton, and those are modern settler names for the territory of the Shinnecock people. Um, my elder cousin told me as I travel today, do so in the palm of the great one, the Shinnecocks will be in our traditional territory, waiting for me when I get there. Thank well, you. Well, we sure do. We wish you the best and safest travels as you speed towards 
your people. And thank you for being here with us tonight, Reverend Holly. Um, and so I guess, you know, Reverend Holly, just to keep talking to you, we've talked a little bit before about the impact of militarism on Native communities. Um, and today, you know, we're kind of reframing this conversation around the sacred earth and militarism. And so I guess just to open up this conversation, can you tell us about what your relationship to the land is? You know, you named the Chinook people. Um, why must we consider land sacred? Oh, land is sacred. I will preface my response to that, Jairus, by just, I don't want to forget to make this recommendation. Uh, Winona LaDuke, has a 2013 book entitled The Militarization of Indian Country. And it's uh, a good resource, and I recommend that to everyone. And then I will go ahead and talk about our relationship to the land. Our people have graciously, and when I say I'm not talking about the behaviors of the people with whom we have been wrestling for 382 years. When the settlers came and very soon began claiming, claiming different kinds of ownership that Aboriginal people did not have. We don't have a way to own the air or a way to own the water, and neither did we have a way to own the land. But one of the things that the settlers claimed was the ways to believe and to worship and to eat and to dress. And all of that was, was news. It wasn't good news. It was bad news to us these almost 400 years ago. And what they have disregarded in acting as if they're uh, supreme beings and behavior said that, if words didn't say it, said it too, but if words didn't say it, behavior speaks that very loudly. And we can follow that pathway um, as deep wagon ruts for these past 400 years. But with that attitude, there is not a time to listen and to learn. And I'm waiting for that day to happen. Um, I'm not holding my breath until that day happens. But I find that it's a very long time coming for our neighbors to realize that we are held by our land. Our land protects us. We are caretakers of our land. But I dare say, were it not for the Shinnecock having the territory that we have held very tightly to, we would have been dispersed. And like so many of our relatives, uh, genocided even more than we were. But this is where the Great Spirit put us. And we look out to see our waters and the waters feed us and our land that can grow our crops. And we are related. Our blood is in the land, our DNA is in the land. Well, look, I, I really appreciate you saying that. And and it really is now is the time to listen and learn. And we, 
we have no other choice at this point, right? And we know that like if we don't, if we don't, then there will be there will be time made. And so, Corinna, maybe we'll turn to you and uh, and ask, you know, do you have anything to add? You know, what is, you know, why do why should we consider land sacred? Do you have any um any insights there? Well, let me say first, much respect to the Shinnecock Nation and, and what a wonderful thing and an honor to be in conversation. And we're, we're one day after uh, Indigenous Peoples Day, which now the fact that that is being widely marked shows that there is some listening, uh, of course, not perfect in any way, so much more to go. But um, I, and I should say I'm, I'm here on on the, the land that uh, was homeland and ancestral land of the Lenape people. And one of the wonderful uh, gifts of this consciousness and awareness is to actually imagine that um, that way of, of life when uh, when there was a, a respect uh, for for water as a living entity and for uh, other natural beings as uh, more as relatives than just as resources, when there was a sense that there was a shared communal way in which people were joining together for the bounty of the land, for food, for the water to drink, that this was from uh, creator and creation and that um, that we were meant to share it with each other in that way. And as we think now, um, I mean, now we know, you know, this, this, I'm, I'm here in, in, in what they called Manahata and we would call Manhattan and the, the Hudson river, which they called the Mahikantuck, you know, we can't, get fish out of there. We can't drink water out of there because it was poisoned with PCBs, you know, a, a while back by General Electric. And there's 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 ways in which the society, as Reverend Holly was saying, that, you know, I, I certainly come out of has treated nature and water and land and air just like it is a sewer and a, a, a waste dump, just like, you know, you can just take and take and take and not give back. So we have to really think, where did that mentality come from, you know, and how do we solve it? And the first step, I think, is to listen uh, to those Native Indigenous peoples and those people that have been living with that other system in there, that other mindset and learn. And I think just to add about what makes land sacred, our bodies are are in so many ways. I mean, obviously we breathe air, we we drink water, the food we eat is nourished in the soil. Um, we have iron in our blood. This this idea that we're separate is is an illusion. And um, it, it also, it, you know, we have this chance to see our common humanity with other people. There's so many things that divide us uh, or seem to. And to be able to um, to see each other and see that we breathe that same air is actually essential wisdom. And um, and we need to, to also talk about the justice components of, of where it comes out, because a lot of times it's the dehumanization of peoples that leads to, to the poisoning of their water and the land, and it must stop now. So thanks for that question and great to be talking about it. Of course, yeah, of course. Reverend Holly, where are you gonna jump in? I think it's, a certain feeling that so many communities never get the opportunity, except that as Shinnecock people, we walk not only where our uh, vague, fuzzy, vague ancestors walked, I know where my great-grandmother Cora stood and held her mother's hand 
and cried when the Circassian went down in 1876. I know where our people would climb to the top of Sugarloaf and stand and look out across the Shinnecock Bay into the ocean. And from that highest point, we could see a pod of whale swimming by. And the pod of weed began because the whale fed our people. And I can stand exactly where that happened for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And so it's it's hard to explain that. And it it's an emotional thing for me in the past two years because I'd grown up with that vision of standing high atop Sugarloaf, looking out to the bay and looking to the ocean before the pot of weed begins. I'd heard that all my life and it wasn't until I was 62 years old that I was able to stand in that place and I recognized exactly what I had been told. And it was a gift that I know I had possessed and then I got to to, to breathe it and my feet knew it and my arms knew it and my eyes knew it. So we talk about life and life being sacred and we must never accept that life being sacred is any small or finite size. Life of the very grass that I stood upon that helped me connect 10,000 years of history. So we need to broaden our definition of what is life and what is sacred about life and how that insect performs their role in this creation as much and probably a lot better than a lot of humans perform their role in creation. But it is sacred that permeates and it is life that is boundless. Boundless. No, it absolutely is. And we do need to broaden our definition of what it means to be in relationship to the land and also just to be here. Um, And there's this theme that you both kind of speak to of like this construction of illusions through this political and like often like militaristic conquest, right? Like, and also like ecological devastation and pollution. And so I want to direct this next question to Corinna. Um, And you work at the um, Center for Earth Ethics. Um, And you describe this place as, you know, somewhere where you can explore, you know, these moral and spiritual dimensions of the climate crisis. And so um, just like I want to talk to you about, like, can you respond to some of the recent policy and legislative decisions that leave out this very bottom of society that we've been talking about, you know, that also make compromises on protecting our climate and our land and that privatize our land. And just like what we're seeing in, in Jackson, Mississippi, I'm from Mississippi, and just like how this privatization is just affecting the land of of those that have been there for years, right? And so we know this enables the funding of war and militarism um, and not, you know, the justification of this sacred earth. And so just want to, do you have any, um, any, any responses to, to some of these policies? 
Yes, absolutely. Well, um, it's good to know you're from from Mississippi, and I I know that we've been watching um, the water crisis in Jackson, and just really hearts go out to the people that are suffering there from that. Also, watching the the, the work that the Cairo Center and the Poor People's Campaign have been doing, galvanizing action, providing a platform for people to speak their experiences and truth. It's been really powerful to see that. So, thanks for that work. Um, and I I feel obviously we know that. Um, there's a lot of money put into the military budget um, and, and, and sometimes very little questions asked about, about it in terms of, of need, where at the same time, we have chronic disinvestment in terms of infrastructure. Um, and that is part of, of what we see um, in going on in Jackson, Mississippi, and it's absolutely unacceptable. We should be we should be prioritizing investment in the basic human needs. You know, water should be human right, uh, clean air, right to a healthy environment um, is was just recognized by the United Nations, and we need to to see you know here in this country that. Um, that, that that is the most fundamental thing if you if you look at our foundational uh, principles and also how we've grown since then in recognizing uh, what what we want this country to be. So I feel I mean, we've had the Inflation Reduction Act, which is a, a, a bill that has a, a piece of legislation that passed and was signed that has a lot of, of um, incentives in it to reduce emissions. And that's actually going to be quite positive in terms of um, trying to get a, a, a handle on the stronger storms and the heat waves that are coming our way. Uh, we also know, though, that there are compromises made that have been um, unacceptable in terms of allowing for more, more oil and gas leasing, particularly along the Gulf Coast and in Alaska. Um, there's the issue of the Mountain Valley Pipeline going through Virginia, West Virginia, and the people there that have been standing up for their land that care about that land. Um, really the other species on the land, the water, uh, as, as well as just the integrity of the process, because the process of our self-government is also uh, it really deteriorating um, at the same rate as we're allowing uh, these often profit-driven interests to just privatize and gobble up a lot of this that should be common inheritance, commonly held and shared um, land, water, air. And so I think that um, that uh, it's absolutely critical to have, you know, I was thinking about, about um, the the fact that, um, you know, the Cairo Center has often drawn attention to Martin Luther King's speech beyond Vietnam, breaking the silence in 1967, where he talked about those connections with militarism, poverty and racism. And in it, he has this line about he's describing what's going on in Vietnam with the militarism. And he has this line about um, how they must see our destruction of their environment, how, how they must be experiencing it over in Vietnam. And he talks about bulldozers coming to destroy precious trees and taking their crops and land. And the violence of that was something that King saw, in particular, that ecological violence. And I, I'm glad that you're drawing these connections with militarism, not only because um, there is there is there there is the, the the issue of the money in the budgets, right, and what gets paid for and what doesn't. There's the issue of the moral decay when we've allowed ourselves as a nation to be beholden to oil and gas uh, moguls in the world that have power 
that like in, in Saudi Arabia, for example, where we'll look the other way on something um, because of the power they hold because of oil. That's that's a type of moral decay as well. Um, and then also, finally, I just wanted to say that that violence that happens ecologically in war. Also, you can see the violence in terms of what um, Coretta Scott King and others have called slow violence, when you're slowly poisoning air and water and you're hurting people, and that we would do that to our own people in this country is really unacceptable. So it's time for that, what was called for that radical revolution of values, which means air, water, land, keeping it clean and keeping it public. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you brought up, you know, like moral decay, because I mean, it absolutely is right. Like we, we know that this doesn't have to be this way like this. We, we, we can create policies that are just and we can create things that are reflective of who we are as a people. And so thank you for naming that. I want to return to some of your thoughts about like this country's warped moral narrative. Let's like continue on that vein because we know that religious nationalism has been used to justify the systemic violence against poor people, right? And people of color specifically, and it's currently threatening our democracy and our fundament fundamental rights. And so I um, just want to ask, you know, why is it imperative that this work be taken, be taken on? What do you see at stake? Um, and yeah, we'll start, we'll start there. Great. Well, and let me say that Reverend Holly put in the chat that she can hear us, even though she, oh. she's having some other connectivity trouble. So I just want to say that, you know, it was it was really a beautiful uh, memory and truth that you shared, Reverend Holly, um, and really thankful for that. Um, and uh, and for for Shinnecock Nation and all of of the, the, the caretaking uh, that you have done and uh, just very respectfully um, feeling that right now. But I also um, want to respond and say that. You know, one of the things that sometimes we have these aha moments, you know, in our work or our life. And one of them for me was actually when I was at Union Seminary, where Cairo Center is also based. And I learned about the doctrine of discovery, um, whereby uh, in the 15th century, um, when European uh, colonizers um, came uh, were launching ships to come to what we now know as the Americas and Africas, that there was a, a mandate that was actually theological, that was really invoking uh, the book of Genesis and the Bible, and that um, it came from the Vatican at the time, and Pope Alexander VI and some other popes were involved, but basically saying that, you know, th this is you should conquer, vanquish, and subdue the peoples, the flora and fauna and the peoples of these lands in the name of, of Christ. And that the people who were there were part of the flora and fauna. And the reason why this, um, obviously this is a total distortion of the book of Genesis and says nothing about the essence of that teaching or about Christianity. But the reason why it seems so relevant was that in thinking about the climate crisis and how it's connected to uh to the to, to, to racism, um, to the genocide of native peoples, you can see that there's that root way of thinking of just domination. And um, in the end, it's so violent that it turns back on itself. And in the end, it's going to actually take us all down if we don't heal at that root. And that's why I think this conversation about how um, about what's sacred, about ending that 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 deranged 
way of thinking that's always othering, that's always oppressing, that's always dominating, and understanding that all that violence is only violence against ourselves in the end. And it's time for a better way. It absolutely is time for a better way and a better path out of what we've, like you said, where we've gotten ourselves. Um, So, Corinna, thank you so much for for speaking. I'm not sure if Reverend Holly is going to be able to say some closing words, but just want to echo um, what Reverend Holly said a while ago. And she said, you know, we're held by our land and our land protects us. And I, you know, as we close, I really hope that we all take that to heart and and move in a way that protects our land and also protects each other. Um, and Corinna, do you have any, any closing no, uh, well, I just want to say that, you know, that when I when I say that about the doctrine of discovery, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times I, I just want to mention at the end that I, I feel sometimes when I say that, like I'm beating up on Christianity or I'm beating up on religion or something. But it's not that. Um, in fact, I think it shows how powerful it is that we're living in a world of belief systems of, of where perception matters, values matter a lot. And when we talk about politics, sometimes we don't we don't get to that level. You know, a lot of people are just talking about the data, the statistics, the polls, the power plays and so on. And I really just want to compliment Cairo Center um, for, for doing the work that you do on that deeper level. And that includes work like. Um, I know Reverend Liz Theo Harris has done Battle for the Bible. So that's like going back into those texts and and you know scriptures and 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 really reading and interpreting them rather than allowing them to continue to be distorted the way that they have. So I just um wanted to say that. Thanks for the opportunity and and thank you for having me on. And thank everybody for tuning in and y'all be safe. <laughs>